It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. How can you achieve and maintain business growth? Harvard Business School Executive Education is now accepting applications for a new program, Driving Profitable Growth. Taking place in Boston from October 25th through the 28th, this program focuses on business expansion and organizational growth strategies that can lead your company into the future. Learn more about this three-day program for senior leaders by visiting hbs.me growth. That's hbs.me growth. Hello, everyone. I'm Chris Manning from Locked On Cavs. And I'm Jay King from Locked On Celtics. And today, this is a crossover podcast like we've done earlier this week with Brad Rowland and Jared Dubin, at least for the Locked On Cavs audience. Um, we're doing a whole week of crossover podcasts with teams that are relevant to my team that I cover, the Cavaliers, and Jay's, uh, the team he covers, the Boston Celtics. And so, what we're going to do is we're going to ask each other some questions. Uh, about each team and kind of do it inversely. So Jay is going to ask me questions about the team he covers the Celtics. I'm going to ask him questions about the Cavs and just pick each other's brain. Uh, so Jay, why don't you kick things off and we'll get this thing going. All right, cool. So to you, obviously the Cavaliers are favorites to reach the finals. Maybe not favorites to, to win it anymore. Not that they really were last year, but let's, let's pretend everything goes wrong. And, <laughs> <laughs> and your Cavaliers <laughs> listeners will love this. Let's pretend everything goes wrong. Worst case scenario, what do you think happens with the Cavaliers this season? I think in a worst case scenario, I could see them losing in the Eastern Conference Finals. I don't think that's the likely scenario. But I think, A, the top of the East is a little bit better than it was last year. I think the Celtics are definitely better. Uh, and I think they present some problems for the Cavs. I, like the, I still like the Raptors as being a team that's going to be very good. I think the Pistons are a sneaky good team. And I think if things don't go correctly, like let's say Kyrie Irving gets hurt, let's say uh, the Kevin Love thing becomes just sort of a bigger problem than it has been. Let's say LeBron James does hit some sort of time wall and he fades this year. There's, I think there's a scenario where they lose in the Eastern Conference Finals. Uh, there's a lot of things that I think are questions about the Cavs, but they're not these big macro problems. They're sort of micro problems. Um, Mike Dunleavy's back could not be healthy. Uh, the backup point guard spot with Matthew Dallavadova now in Milwaukee could be an issue. So there's all these different things that I think could add up and result in them losing before we expect them to. But I think it would take a lot of those things to sort of break right because at the end of the day, uh, LeBron James is, I think, still at a point in his career where when it comes down to it, he can sort of take advantage and bring people up to a different level and bring the team up to another level. But I think if if he takes like a decent step back and let's say he – can't turn on as much in the playoffs. A team like Boston, I think, could beat the Cavs in the Eastern Conference Finals. I wouldn't say it's likely, but I definitely think it's more possible than it was this time last year. Yeah, and that's why I wanted to, to ask you about that is because Celtics fans, I think, it's tough for them to even dream about beating the Cavs because you know they have LeBron James, and he's been such a difference maker. He's been to so many finals in a row. He, he and the Cavs just toppled one of the best regular season teams ever, the team that won the most games in the regular season. And it's tough to see them taking a step back, even though they lost a couple of, of small pieces. Like, they, a lot would have to go wrong, I think, for either the Raptors or the Celtics to have a real chance. And so I, I was, I was kind of curious to, to hear from your perspective what you think could possibly go wrong. 
because from the Celtics' perspective, they I, I still don't think they have enough top talent to beat a team like the Cavaliers, which has LeBron James, which has Kyrie Irving, two guys who can go and get you a bucket even when defenses are, are great. And we saw that against the Warriors, and we've seen it time and time again, especially with LeBron. So, yeah, it, it, that Eastern Conference, how long do you think it's going to take for another team to catch the Cavaliers? I think it could be as early as two years. Uh, and I only say that because LeBron's deal is up in two years. That's when he can opt out again. And I don't think it's. I don't think there's a hundred percent certainty that he does just re-op and continue the thing with Kyrie and Love. Just because I do. There's this that whole Super Friends thing is a reality. I think it's something that they actually want to do. Um, I don't know if it happens. If it happens at all. Um, and I think it would be like really weird if LeBron left again. But he won the title. Like He did what he wanted to do. And he did what he said he was going to do. So I think that gives him some cachet to maybe go if that's what he decides he wants to do. And he's also just going to get older at some point. Um, the Kyrie and Kevin Love being younger guys. And Kyrie just starting to get towards his prime. And Love being in the middle of it. Gives him a chance to extend that window a little bit. But let's say Boston goes out and gets a DeMarcus Cousins. Or gets a Jimmy Butler. Or gets some other star that can take them to that other level and then they're or they you know they get uh russell westbrook in two years or something like they get a guy that takes them to like that other level they get another star to play with horford that's going to bring the best out of guys like jay crowder and marcus smart and avery bradley it could be sooner it just a lot there's a lot of sort of fun little variables at play some of and some of them we can't i think it's really hard to predict if those variables actually could present themselves in let's say six months but i don't know like Boston could trade for somebody. They have the assets to do it. And if there's any team that has, should have a willingness to trade for somebody, it's probably the Celtics. Yeah, definitely. So w- would you say, and I, I think Boston fans believe that they're, they've, they're the l- biggest long-term threat to Cleveland. Would, would you agree with that? Yeah. Uh, I, I Detroit would be my second answer just because I love that Pistons score. I love Van Gundy. But I look at Boston. I lo- Brad Stevens is just a great coach. Um, you know that from covering him like in person. He's super smart. They have a lot of guys that are just going to get better. They don't have anybody besides Horford that's like really in their prime. And they should be able to get better players via trade. Um, I would say Boston is certainly set up to be the longest threat for the Cavs. I would say maybe... If you're going to say in a vacuum, I don't think for this year you could also you could definitely make an argument for the Raptors or someone. But I, you look at any other team in the East that has a long-term future. Let's say the Pacers. Um, you know they have Paul George and Miles Turner is promising and all this and the, all this different stuff. But you know there's concerns about Nate McMillan and if he can what he's going to be as a coach. I don't really love the Monta Ellis thing at shooting guard. Their bench is sort of thin and a little bit older with guys like Al Jefferson. Um, you know Toronto Kyle Lowry could be a, could walk pretty soon. And, you know, DeRozan's pretty much in his prime. And do they take a step back without Bianco? I think the Celtics just have no major question besides when and if do they get another star. And I only see good things for them. I just, they probably, of any team over the next eight years, they might have the brightest future. And it's just because the Cavs, I think there's a scenario where they sort of just go from being this great, great team to just being like, oh, well, LeBron got old and is playing with the Super Friends and things could just deteriorate quickly if that sort of unravels itself. Yeah, the other team I like in the East is Milwaukee. And I, obviously they're, they're, they haven't formed yet, but Giannis could be an absolute game changer every night. And I think Jabari Parker has a level that he hasn't reached yet. I, I'm, I'm really intrigued by the Bucks, and, and, of course, your boy Della Vadova. 
Yeah, he's such a good fit. But he's actually such a good fit with Giannis. He is. He is. He's perfect. Like he's he, like he would honestly like there are people that thought maybe he'd be really good in Philly, and I was like, no, he's not that type of point guard that's gonna fix what they need and actually be a creator for them. Now he'd fit pretty well with Simmons, I would say, but him and Giannis is a pretty good combo. Uh, and if Jabari can start hitting even corner threes, I'm in. Um, I I worry a little bit about. What they do with Monroe's dead money, all that comes off the books. And if what the Mark Carter Williams and just Don Maker turn into something. But I mean, you have Giannis, you have Jabari, you have Chris Middleton. That's a pretty freaking good trio and a very long trio for a team that, and all those guys are young. Even Middleton's on the really on the right side of his prime. Yeah. I, I'm I'm pretty sold on the Bucks' future. But then again, <laughs> it could go the other way. And Parker might yeah. never learn how to shoot. And Middleton might never really grow too much. And yeah. Giannis might be kind of misplaced as whatever he is I, I, they haven't played winning basketball yet really but I, I I'm really really intrigued by that team yeah me too um but to look at your Celtics for a second there's a guy on the Celtics that I'm super intrigued by uh, because he plays so hard uh, and because I don't think he's actually put together a full great year yet and that's Marcus Smart uh, what do you expect out of him next year and what could be a pretty pivotal year for him I have no idea so Marcus <laughs> he, he's one of these guys where he came to the NBA almost like backwards. Yeah. And what I mean by that is most guys come into the NBA and they have no clue how to play defense yet. Their offensive games are a lot further along. And Marcus Smart was just the other way around. Like he came in already a plus defender, can guard three positions, is tenacious as all hell, strong as all hell, and he doesn't really know how to play offense yet. So. The thing about Marcus Smart is every once in a while he looks like the best player on both ends of the court. And when I say that, I mean like the stretches against Atlanta in the playoffs when he was shutting down Paul Millsap at one end and scoring like 11 points in a quarter at the other end, Duncan hitting threes. And he has stretches like that and you're like, whoa, man, Marcus Smart could be so good if he ever puts it together. But then, you know, he's he had one of the worst shooting seasons historically for anyone in the history of the NBA, considering how the volume of three point shots he took and he still hasn't really figured out how to play point guard. Although he did have some stretches of, of competence and and even better than that last year. So what is he going to be in its third year? I don't know. I, I think he'll get more opportunities at point guard with Evan Turner gone, which could be a good thing for him, but like there's there's a whole lot he needs to develop offensively, and if he if he ever becomes even good offensively, he doesn't even have to become great. He is going to be such a valuable player, but he has mm-hmm. to get there first. And I, I don't know if he'll do that. I don't know when he'll do that. I have he's one of those guys. He could make the leap to stardom, and it wouldn't surprise me. Or he could be an offensive liability his whole career, and that wouldn't surprise me either. Yeah, he's so fascinating to me because I just love how hard he plays and stuff. Um, <laughs> he's just oh, he just i don't know there's something about him that i just really really like um so just real quick before we move on are you gonna miss having evan turner to say crazy things to you in the locker room yes yes that is by far the most that was by far the most devastating part of my summer was when evan turner got paid so much by the portland trailblazers because i'm telling you man like for for nba beat writers it's like if you have a quote a guy who gives you good quotes it it's, it can be tough to find, and a lot of guys are boring. A lot of guys don't say how they feel. A lot of guys 
either don't talk before games or whatever the case, Evan Turner was always accessible. <laughs> he was always an awesome quote. Yeah, he, he was genuinely fun. Like, there are some guys who are funny where it's just, it's like, oh, someone made a joke in the press room. Everybody laughs. He was genuinely funny. Like, really, really funny guy. He is. He will be missed. And the Celtics will miss him on the court, too, although it'll give a lot of opportunity to guys like Smart and, and Jalen Brown and Terry Rozier. So we'll, yeah. we'll see what happens there. Yeah, I'm, ex- I'm excited to see how that's going to play itself out. Um, and they're clean. I've always wanted to just interview Evan Turner just because of the things he says. And I've never, like, I've interviewed some Cavs guys, some other guys, but no one seems as crazy as Evan Turner. It's like him and Nick Young as, like, the two guys I would love to spend, like, ten minutes just, like, picking their brain on random stuff. He never failed. It was like sometimes he would give boring quotes, and we'd say, like, come on, Evan, man. Like, we, like, we need you here. <laughs> and he would just pull something out that was just gold. Oh, uh, that's he, fantastic. He was great. Okay, one one question. This isn't, like, a big thing for you guys, I don't think, but maybe it is, especially with, with Delhi gone. Kay Felder is is he, he going to help in, in his rookie year? What do you what role do you envision him play? I love that kid's game, and and Isaiah Thomas has has gone on Twitter and, and said that he thinks Kay Felder plays exactly like him, and I kind of see that in in Felder's game. So I think the potential certainly there. Um, I think it's pretty big when a guy like LeBron James was co-signing him and Draymond Green co-signed him, Isaiah Thomas co-signed him, and he was voted pretty highly amongst rookies as an underrated prospect. He's if you I don't watch a ton of college basketball. Just uh, I covered it last year when I was in college, but aesthetically it doesn't do as much for me, so I don't watch a ton. But I, I went back and watched old Oakland games just to watch him, and I've watched the Draft Express stuff, and there's certainly a package there for him to be something really good. I'm skeptical though for two reasons. One. He's just not that big. Um, and I know that's knocking guys like Isaiah and knocking guys like Nate Rob, but when you're that small and to play point guard, a backup point guard role on the Cavs, Delhi was sort of a hybrid too. And it was because he's actually pretty big. Like he's like 6'2, six, 6'3, six, very strong, could be physical with bigger guards. I mean, there's a Bradley Beal two years ago when Delhi was just a nobody and the Cavs were really bad, was complaining about Delhi. Like, it was amazing. Like, I was reading the Slam interview, and there's like, who's the three hardest guys for you to guard? And Bradley Beal was like, Kawhi, LeBron, and Matthew Dallavadova. And I was like, that's amazing. And I might have got the first two guys wrong, but I was like, I'm like, why is Delhi in here? This is fantastic. But he has to fill some of that role, and I don't know if he can. And two, when I watched him in Summer League, he doesn't exactly have the off-ball shooting I think you'd want out of the Cavs point guard uh, behind Kyrie because he's going to play in these bench units where he is. LeBron's going to be handling the ball a lot. We saw in the playoffs that what worked for the Cavs with LeBron off the bench was play someone at the five. I think it'll be Channing Fry a lot of the time. And then you have wings. You have Richard Jefferson being a small ball four. And then you have LeBron handling the ball. Delhi would just cut off the ball, run some basic pick and roll, and shoot threes. The good news for Felder is I think there's a chance he's going to get a have an opportunity to really take that role for himself. Uh, Mo Williams might retire, and he probably should, considering I think his knee problems are just basically him being old and worn down by playing a lot of minutes. Like, if you look up the medical stuff of his knee, it's just like he's old. Um, and he was not really playable last year, which is like kind of sad because he was so fun his first time. Um, I'm not a big Jordan McRae guy, although I know from talking to people within the Cavs organization that and just talking to – you seeing LeBron talk about him, that they really like him. Um, and I'm also not really sold, sold on Amon Shumpert being a thing as a nominal point guard with bench units just because – uh, the Shump just ball handling. He's a Mon Shumpert. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was trying to put it that certain that, but yeah, just because he's a Mon Shumpert. Uh, a Mon Shumpert is not someone I would really want handling the ball a lot. And K. Felder is certainly going to be able to do that. 
Um, I think early there's a chance he is in Canton with the charge in the D-League, but I think there's also a chance that if Mo Williams retires and they don't really like what they see in McRae, that Ty Lue uh, ghost him. But also, I would say this. I think this is actually a really good fit for Felder just because Ty Lue is a former point guard who wasn't a star, who found a role for himself in the league for a long time. He's going to teach Kay Felder. He's got another young point guard to push him in Kyrie and who can maybe help him a little bit. And he has freaking LeBron James to help him along the way. Uh, and I think there's a chance he could be really good. But, I mean, do you wa- did you watch him in college? Like, or I, I watched you have- way too much Kay Felder. I, so <laughs> I, I watched him. I think they had a game early in the season against, like, Michigan State or someone. Yeah. And Felder had, like, 38 points. And it was it was the toughest 38 points because it was like their offense was just, okay, give the ball to Felder and let him go. <laughs> and, and I was just fascinated by this guy, like this 5'9". And he's really strong, and I think that will help him because he does have a lot of strength. And it's kind of like Isaiah Thomas. He's a lot stronger than people give him credit for. And I think that's one of the reasons Thomas has been able to score so much is because he he goes jumps into big guys and he bounces off of them and he draws contact. And Felder kind of has that too. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I watched way too much Kay Felder, and I, I grew to love his game. There was no one in college basketball who could stop that kid, not a single person. And the only reason he fell to the second round is because of his size. And obviously that could hold him back in the NBA, but he does so many things at a plus level. I, I, I love that kid's game. He's really fun to watch. I almost wish he didn't end up on the Cavaliers, though, and had just gone to, like, a bad team where someone would want to just like run this hand the second unit over to him and just let him do whatever because <laughs> yeah because that he would be so much fun in a role like that and but I do think he'll have to adjust to as you said playing off ball like he'll have to do a lot for Cleveland when he's with LeBron James yeah but I think there's still certainly an Isaiah Thomas type role on any team like you if you have a guy who could just get buckets I think that's certainly uh, certainly valuable absolutely Always um, need a guy who gets buckets. That's why the Celtics picked up Gerald Green, man. Yeah, he should. Gerald I'll, Green. Yeah, I mean, okay. at least yeah, you get Gerald Green, bucket getter, and just absurd jumper, even though I feel like he's been in the league for like 30 years. Yeah, it's been a long time. Uh, so we'll look at the next uh, question I have for about the Celtics. Uh, I look at this team. I think there's a lot of really, really good guys, and I think there's clearly – some guys who are above the rest, but right now you look at that team. Who is the guy that you think is the best player on the Boston Celtics as you head in the next year? Who's the franchise guy for next season? And that's the thing. Like they have some really good players, and I think Isaiah Thomas and Al Horford are both a cut ahead of everybody else. And Jay Crowder very, very close to those guys. There were for a lot of last year, you could have argued Crowder was their best player because he plays D. He can guard a lot of players. He scores efficiently even though he's not a great outside shooter yet. Uh, I mean, I'd, I'd probably go with Horford, but Thomas has an argument, and Crowder, especially if he improves, could get there. But that's the thing. They just need that one guy who kind of makes everybody else better. They need that one guy who who can create a shot for himself and others whenever. And like their their offense was, was very average last year, and they had a great defense. They just couldn't score always and they always had like like droughts where it that they just couldn't get buckets and and they, they just need that one star and it's tough because they do have so many different ways to get a star but it's it's so hard to get that guy and they'll have yeah. opportunities in the draft they'll have opportunities in free agency they'll have plenty of money they'll have trade options but it's like that 
that it's so hard to get that guy, and that's the only thing right now that they really need. And maybe they'll develop it. Maybe you know Marcus Smart will take that leap, or Jalen Brown will take that leap. But it's 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 hard to get that guy, and that's kind of all they need. A question I have before we move on to some broader, just worst case, best case scenarios for both teams. Who would you say would be a better fit uh, with this roster, considering you have to give up probably some of the roster to get that player? DeMarcus Cousins? Or uh, who's the other guy? Crap, 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 crap. Uh, Jimmy Butler. Who's one of those two? Uh, so it, what DeMarcus, like, is DeMarcus Cousins still going to be a knucklehead? I don't know. I don't know enough about him to know whether a change of scenery would turn him into a different type of person. I... I I think Cousins is a more skilled player, a, a, a more talented player than Butler, even though I, I really love Butler's game. But I'd probably go with Butler just because, A, he's under contract, a very good contract in this landscape for, I think, three more years. And, B, he just doesn't have that that nuttiness to him. <laughs> and he doesn't, yeah. he doesn't yeah. have those like wild mood swings. So I think I would go with Butler in that scenario. And then... Honestly, like if you rolled out a lineup that was like Avery Bradley, Marcus Smart, Jimmy Butler, Jay Crowder, and Al Horford, like that's that's one hell of a defensive lineup. And I don't know if they'd score any points, but I'm not sure the other team would either. So I, I think I would go. I would lean toward Butler. And yeah, but you know, the, the, then there's maybe Blake Griffin next summer. So oh god, him and him and Horford up front, especially if you could keep the. The crazy amount of guys you can throw at LeBron because they they're the only team in the East, and this is another reason why I think they're a good credible threat for the Cavs is that they can throw two guys at Kyrie and two guys at LeBron and just keep those guys having to work for buckets even if they're going to get them. There's no other team that can do that, and, and if they can get Blake without having to compromise uh, everything that's going on, that would be pretty pretty ideal I think for them, and that would even set them up more for success because if you get Boogie, you're probably giving up something of really important value to that team. Yeah, exactly. And the the great thing, one of many great things about Horford is he can play with anybody. Like he can shoot, he can play four, he can guard fours, he can slide into the middle and handle that if you need him to. So it's like, yes, he can fit alongside Cousins, who's a huge five. And yes, he can fit alongside Blake Griffin, who's a kind of playmaking four. So that that's that's another huge part of the Horford signing. Horford signing was huge for the Celtics, and yeah, I agree. I, I don't know how much it will impact other players, but a guy like Blake Griffin or other free agents in the upcoming class that has to be. I mean, now they have two All Stars. They have Jay Crowder, who was relatively close last year, and they have a lot of young talent in Marcus Smart, Jalen Brown, uh, whoever the Nets pick becomes next summer. Like that is a nice little future to have. So. There's a lot, of, a lot of hope in Boston, but again, right now, I don't know how credible of a threat they are to the Cavaliers at all. I don't think they really are this season, but but maybe next year after they they make a move or two. Yeah, and I I would say I think it, this them playing the Eastern Conference Finals would be my most likely uh, pick for how this season unfolds. Is those two playing uh, for the right to go to the finals and probably play the Warriors? So you look at Boston season. Uh, let's say what is the best case scenario and what is the worst case scenario. Okay, I'm going realistic best case scenario because obviously, like injuries could happen, and LeBron could go down, or some something wild could happen, and the Celtics could have a chance to make it to the finals. But realistically, I think Eastern Conference Finals is their 
their realistic ceiling. I would say they and the Raptors look like my favorites for number two and three in the East in some order. I the East is weird to me, man. I've, I've talked about this a lot <laughs> on the podcast. It's like there are so many weird teams that I I don't know how they'll look. Like the like the Pacers added some pretty good players, but like some weird players. And how does it all fit? And then the Knicks, like God knows what they'll look like. <laughs> I have a hard time picturing it going really well, but you know what? What if Porzingis makes the leap and Carmelo's still Carmelo and Derrick Rose isn't a bad point guard? Like if he at least becomes league average again, they could be they could be interesting. Like there's a lot of just weird teams. So yeah, <laughs> that was a long way of saying I, I think Eastern Conference Finals is their their top and worst case scenario. I think they make the playoffs and and lose again. If they lose again in the first round, I think they'll start to feel a little heat because you know last last year they played the Cavs in the first round, or two years ago they played the Cavs in the first round, and everyone expected them to lose like they did. This year they played the Hawks, and it was kind of a tough matchup. Hawks were, had a lot more experience, and then Avery Bradley went down. Kelly Olynyk was hurt, so it was like a lot of excuses. A lot of a lot of reasons that they didn't advance out of the first round, legitimate reasons. And now, if if they don't advance out of the first round again, that would be not too good. What, what do you think for the Cavs? Uh, I think the best case scenario is that they repeat as champs. Uh, I think yep. if everything goes right, yeah. Like <laughs> it's funny because yeah. I, I asked you the question, I knew exactly what you were going to say. Yeah. Uh, to add like another layer to it, just because I've been getting sneaking these little obligatory uh, little just jokes, be- while well, I can still make it a thing the best case scenario would be somehow if they came back down from 3-1 again and 1-7 in org if they just did that like i think the internet would just melt um (laughs) and i'm pretty sure Cavs twitter and warriors twitter would just like meet in temecula and like fight each other but uh i think the i think the the best case scenario is that they somehow win the finals and i think it's going to be a tough definitely a tougher task than last year um and they're gonna have to figure some stuff out but i think it's that that definitely is their goal i don't think lebron will settle for anything less. I don't think he'll be happy with anything less. Um, and I would say the worst case scenario is that for some reason, whatever it ends up being or whatever multiple reasons it is, is that they lose to a team like Boston or a team like Toronto in the Eastern Conference Finals and the decline of these LeBron Cavs comes just a little bit sooner than I think we thought it might. Um, and that opens up a lot of different things like just the Kevin Love rumor start up again. Uh, does Kyrie do that? Just LeBron want to get Chris Paul in here and try to win right away again? Uh, there's just all these things I think that would open up, but I also think that's probably the doomsday scenario. I think that would be a bit surprising, and barring injuries if they're healthy. I don't see them not making the finals, and I, it, it just feels weird to say considering it's we're not even into training camp yet, but we're already thinking, hey, this team is probably going to make the finals or it's kind of disappointing. And that, just, that feels sort of weird even though I think we said this a little bit last year. Yeah, and now, okay, question. Do you think that in in some weird way the Warriors getting Kevin Durant might keep the Cavaliers motivated? Because it's like they, they had this unbelievable upset in the finals, down 3-1, come all the way back. LeBron has a series for the ages. Kyrie is just straight ridiculous the last few games of that series. And now nobody expects them to win. Everyone thinks the Warriors are going to do it. And, and LeBron, like last year it came out that he he kind of held on to all that doubt the whole he's, time. He is a petty human being. Yeah. And, and like he watches The Godfather and like takes everything very personally and he just takes it as slight and I think it fuels everybody else. Um, they've like literally after they 
uh, won the title. They kept saying, yeah, we were th- David Griffin on down. They were saying that they thrived on people doubting them and thrived on the drama. And that I think like if people are doubting them again, LeBron's going to suck it up as motivation. You're going to have seven or eight times during the year where he says something where like he's clearly like taking subliminal jabs at someone. Uh, he'll tweet the war- the Warriors will be the Warriors will be beating like the Spurs by 30 on an ESPN game, and he's going to be tweeting out a picture of him drinking a bottle of wine with his wife. Like it's just going to be like this stuff where he's going to be like, yeah, I don't care. But like deep down, you know, LeBron is like gearing up to go at those guys again and to dethrone them again because there would literally be no other better way to confirm his greatness as just the GOAT or the second best or just somewhere in that top five if he somehow dethroned those Warriors. Yeah, if he takes down that team. And he already took down the 73-win <laughs> Warriors, which I know, is which... enough as it was. It's like, all right, LeBron, like, uh, you beat that team, and then they got the second-best player in the world or the third-best player in the world, however you want to rank it, and uh, you're going to have to beat them again, uh, and you're going to have some roster changes, and uh, you're going to have to figure some stuff out. But, okay, here you go. Like, that's like, literally what he's asking to, and it's yeah. to do. It's crazy. And I kind of can't – I kind of hope we see the the the, the third-time uh, matchup between those teams, but I don't know. I, I Only if it's the best of the best with those teams, I think. It would, That would be unbelievable. Like, even even if it wasn't a close series, the just the storylines and LeBron versus Durant, Steph versus Kyrie. I mean, just just ridiculous, man. I, yes. I, I, like I I I'm not sure how I feel about the the Warriors still. Like I, I'm I'm going to love watching them play basketball because those guys all play basketball in just a beautiful way. But I don't know. There's there's a part of it that's just unsettling to me, and. I don't know. I I would love. It would be fun I'm to with see you. them get beaten. It would be fun. It would be fun. No, I'm I'm kind of with you because it's more fun when you're watching like Oklahoma City and Golden State last year was just so fun. And I don't know if we get a series like that in the West this year. And that's sort of kind of not the the most fun thing to me. Like I'd rather see these great teams play each other. I get why KD did it. Um, I get why he would be frustrated by OKC and why he makes that move to Golden State. Um, it's going to be a little more relaxing for him. It's going to be less stressful. Um, it's going to be like, I mean, he, the, even just, you look at the point guards. I mean, I love Russ, but I'm sure playing with Steph is going to be a little functionally different than playing with a guy like Russell Westbrook. Yeah, and it just, I would and, say a lot functionally yeah, different. Yeah, like it's a lot functionally <laughs> different. Uh, there's just going to be those things, but at the same time watching Kate, I like Kate, those war, those thunder teams were so good and they were so close this year to beating the Warriors. It's sort of weird that he is there. Um, it sets up something epic with LeBron, and that storyline's cool, but it does sort of make some of the other stuff not as fun. Like the West this year, I know there's like the Jazz and the Spurs are always there and whatever, but it's just like, eh. It's like in the East too, it's like I see the Cavs and they're expected to be so good, and yeah, I'm excited about Boston. I'm excited about Toronto. I'm excited about Detroit. And there's more interesting teams like the Pacers, but at the same time, it's like is it going to matter when it gets to April and the Cavs are just kind of cruising through another Eastern Conference playoffs run? Yeah, exactly. Like. It it's it it almost does feel like only the finals could matter, and and that's not good. <laughs> but yeah, but you know who who knows? Like th- last year, we kind of thought that the Warriors would would run through the West anyway. Like obviously the Spurs were great, but and the Thunder like had Russ and KD. But I don't think anyone expected like like the extent to which they got pushed in the in the Western Conference Finals. And no, not at all. I don't think many people expected the Cavaliers to to topple the Warriors in in the finals. So, it's basketball, man. Basketball is a crazy, crazy sport, and I will never give a team. Actually, I've kind of I've kind of given the Warriors the title already, <laughs> but 
but anything could happen. It, it always is. It, like it's crazy. Anything could happen, man. Anything. Yeah. Yeah, I agree, and I think it's just seeing something new in the East, even if it's the these Celtics with a little bit of a different roster that's a year older. I think that in itself is pretty interesting. Yeah, yeah, we'll see. We'll see what happens. Uh, thanks for having me on the podcast, man. No, of course, it's good to uh, collaborate with other pods in the Lockdown Network. Um, just for the Lockdown Cavs audience, you can always find us on iTunes, Google Play, whatever. Uh, Jay, is there anything you have coming up that you want to plug, or like, where and where can everyone find you? Nothing really. So find us, search for Locked On Celtics on Audio Boom, Stitcher, iTunes, whatever. Uh, we're we're back to daily podcasts in case you you hadn't realized. And yeah, getting ready for the season. It's almost here. Yeah, I, as we said, I I can't wait. I can't wait for actual basketball. Uh, and Jay, thanks for coming on. Yeah, it's been, I I really just can't wait for it, even if it's just a, a random uh, Nets game in. Uh, <laughs> And against the Kings in January, like I can't wait. I can't wait to just watch something other than uh, film from last year because it's kind of getting old. Yeah, I'm ready for the season to start. I'm ready for I'm ready for like the Celtics inner squad scrimmage, which they always have like four days into training camp. Like I'm yeah, hyped I'm, for that. <laughs> yeah, I'm ready. I'm I'm here, I'm here for the K. Felder, uh, Jordan McRae, Markel Brown uh, trading camp scrums. That's what I'm, that's what I'm here for in Cleveland because LeBron's just gonna. You know, coast for like two weeks. Um, so like I think two months. Yeah, yeah, no, or like six, or like six months, and go to Miami or something. But uh, this is uh, thanks again, Jay, for coming on, and uh, for my listeners, we'll see you tomorrow because we are two daily. But uh, thanks for joining us. You've reached the High Fashion Hotline. Hi, my family's going to a tailgate, and I want our style to stand out from the crowd. Just go to Old Navy. Old Navy? Yep, Old Navy's got all the latest fall styles. Plus, during Old Navy's colossal sale, you'll save up to 50% off store-wide. Did you say up to 50% off? I did, so don't sit on the sidelines. Old Navy has the perfect pants from 19 bucks, stylish dresses from 15 bucks, and comfy tees for the family from just 6 bucks. right now at Old Navy and OldNavy.com. We're cheering for Old Navy. High Fashion, Old Navy. Valid 10-2 to 10-10. Select styles only. Rejecting the screen has been retweeted by Kobe, Dame Lillard, and Vince Carter, so it's fair to say you should give it a shot. I'm Noah Kozlov. And I'm Adam Stanko. Rejecting the screen hits your feed every Tuesday and Thursday. On Tuesday, we talk hoops and a little bit of life. On Thursday, we go ISO with a guest. Stories from anyone and everyone who has touched the NBA with tales we promise you've never heard before. Find Rejecting the Screen right now wherever you get podcasts and hit that subscribe button.